Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, friends of the forest. We wanted to let you know that we're taking a short mid-season pause in our stories as we continue production for the second half of our season, which we could not be more excited for you to hear. We will be bringing you our next story in March, but until then, please enjoy this bonus content. Our writers were interviewed by the folks at the Tacoma Park radio station, and if you didn't catch it when it aired, this is your chance to get some insight into the writer's process every other Friday until March. This week, we are featuring Madeline Dorta, the writer of Lena, and we know you are just going to love this interview. Seriously, thank you all so much for being so encouraging and kind. We have been blown away by the overwhelming support of this podcast and its artists. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy. Welcoming our guest tonight, Madeline Dorta, who is a writer for the new podcast, Feminist Fairy Tales. Welcome to the program. Please introduce yourself to our audience. Hi, my name is Madeline. I am a Latina from the Midwest who is madly in love with creating audio stories. I started my audio storytelling journey a couple years ago with my first audio drama called Meteor City. Great. And how did you get involved with Feminist Fairy Tales? So I found them on a Facebook group. I believe it's Audio Fiction Hub, where, you know, people are always posting. But I saw that they were looking for writers for the first season. And I was like, oh, that sounds cool. I should check that out. And then from there, it kind of blossomed. Very cool. And did you already know which fairy tale you wanted to tackle at that point? You know, I didn't. Um, I, I had a couple in mind that I thought that could be cool. Um, and then I kind of started like, which ones did I like as a kid? And I remember I really loved Thumbelina the movie. Like I, how many times I like remember like rewinding it on VHS because I loved it. And then I rewatched it recently prior to this whole feminist fairy tales. And then it's, you know, all about this little, little girl, like this little fairy who's like, everyone wants something from and like the toad is trying to marry her and the prince wants her and like, she never gets to be free. And watching that as an adult, I was like, oh, my God, this is horrifying, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and then and I was kind of like thinking of it and I was like, oh, Thumbelina. okay, so maybe I can play with that. And then, yeah, from there, I I literally remember typing Thumbelina and then I like like spaced a couple of times. I was like Lena. And then from there, it just kind of like it just came out. It was it was pretty spectacular, actually. So Lena is the name of your piece. Yes, it is called Lena. So could you tell us a little bit about it? I, I mean, without sure. spoilers. Yeah, yeah. So Lena, very much like Thumbelina, is seen as small in her life. In real life, she's normal size, but 
She is made to feel small a lot in her family as well as in her culture. She is a first-generation Latina. She's the eldest daughter. Her parents are immigrants to America, so she has a lot on her shoulder. She has a lot of responsibilities, responsibilities she never asked for. So she has to put the needs of everyone above hers. And that was something that really, really resonated with me as a Latina, but also, you know, in my culture. So when I had the opportunity to write about it, I was very excited. Yeah. Selena is really just about this woman who has to go on a journey to fight for her freedom, you know, in a world that's just so hellbent on keeping women small, you know, we have to fight to take up space. And that's really what the entire um, fairy tale is about. And, you know, she definitely goes on the heroine's journey to to find her strength to take up space. I don't want to give too much away. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, it was a really it was a really incredible experience writing it. It was very um, cathartic for me. Cathartic how? (laughs) You know, there's so many things when I was writing it that I don't think I ever truly, really ever really said it loud or admitted to myself on, on the way that people made me feel in my life. And it wasn't just me, you know, it's so many other Latinas I know go through the same thing. And so to be able to put, to put it out there in this way is really, it feels like releasing a lot of things that have been on my mind for my entire life. Do you mind if I ask what some of those might be? Sure. Yeah. For example, there's a character in the fairy tale called, called Sapo, which means mm-hmm. toad or a frog. So he represents the the frog in Thumbelina and he's very like machismo. He's very much like this, this sexist pig who expects women to be a certain way. Very, very um, common in a lot of Latinx cultures, right? So Mm -hmm. there's definitely that. And the way he approaches Lena many times where he just approaches women is something that should just be expected. So I wanted to kind of bring light to that of someone who kind of has to be nice to people. Women who feel like, you know, we have to be nice to men even when they are vile, (laughs) honestly um so that's something i wanted to bring some reality into it despite it being a fairy tale it's something that's very real that a lot of women have to deal with on a daily basis right so lena is a first generation latina she's not a fairy she is not she is not a fairy she does not have any magical powers besides the fact that she's a latina that's her magical power she's a (laughs) strong woman who has to go on a journey to find her strength. So yeah, in this retelling of Thumbelina, there's, there's magic involved, but Lena herself is not a fairy, but she does have to struggle with her size a lot in, um, in the magical ways. Interesting. So you mentioned, you mentioned Sapo and Machismo. What's another theme that came out of you, surprised you, uh, you hadn't said out loud before until you put it down here? A lot about expectations. I think every single person on this planet probably has dealt with some parental expectations. But I think I think a lot of times when you deal with these, you know, with either first, second or third generation immigrants, there are a lot of expectations to either be more than what they had or to be exactly how they are. You know, so they, they made all these sacrifices for you. And if you want something different than that, then you're somehow wrong or you're, you're shamed, right? Or you're like belittled. And I think Lena really has to deal with that. You know, she has to deal with the pressure of having her parents sacrifice everything to come to America and for her to be so unhappy with her life and then having to deal with that with her parents. Like, how can you be unhappy? You know, you have food, you have water, you have roof over your head, you have a job. And to like her parents, that's what happiness is. 
despite Lena just continuously like shrinking into herself and incredibly unhappy. So kind of just dealing with that parental pressure, but societal pressure as well as a, as a woman. Mm-hmm. So a lot of things were really put into, in, into Lena. I'm also first generation Latino and oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, thanks. And uh, my mother used to say, vas al cielo y vas llorando. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> it's like, you mean, because I wanted something different from what she wanted for me. Yeah. And then there is this definitely like this guilt that, that you feel because you want something and it, it's just, it's so weird and it's so heavy and convoluted and there's so many layers to it. And I, I definitely tried to put some of that into Lena, not too heavy so that it was still like enjoyable and you didn't have to call your therapist afterwards, but also still be addressed as like something that's, that's like, that's heavy and then put on our shoulders to deal with. Hmm. So I asked this as a Latino who writes, but who grew up in uh, white American culture. How did you connect with that part of your identity? What was with that like? My identity as a Latina? Yeah. That's also very complicated. I come from a family where American assimilation was the goal. It was the key. It was everything. Mm-hmm. In order to be successful, you had to be American. You had to be white. You could only speak Spanish second. If you spoke Spanish first, they would hold you back. Actually, they held a, a lot of my family members for not speaking English well enough back in school. So there was very much seemed as something to be ashamed about. So that kind of dealing with that and that, that cultural divide definitely has been a struggle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm definitely part of the Nosabo um, generation. My Spanish is terrible, but I can understand it fine. Speaking it is completely different. I live in a predominantly white um, area. I live in Iowa. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, I'm a Puerto Rican and Cuban in Iowa. So mm-hmm. there's some, uh, you know, cultural things too. But until the last couple of years, I've really kind of stepped back into living my life on my own terms into finding how I see myself as a woman, as a Latina, as a woman of color, and having to kind of unlearn a lot of things about myself and about my culture. But it definitely, it's been hard. It's been really, really hard. And I do think that writing and audio storytelling um, in particular has really helped me come into my own and to redefine myself on my own terms, not other people's. How has writing helped you to get in touch with your own identity? You know, <laughs> there's this um, saying that writers are kind of vain in a way. And I, <laughs> I agree with that to a certain point because I do put a lot of myself into the characters because they mostly are um, Latina, right? So I, I, I write different versions of myself into these characters. Sometimes they're good things. Sometimes they're the bad things. But I do get to kind of live vicariously through them and and to kind of rehearse the things that I need to deal with in my life through these characters. <laughs> For example, um, Bianca Diaz in my show Meteor City, she definitely has to deal with a lot of trauma and she has to deal with it while also sharing a lot of um, herself with the world. And I also feel like I have to do that too as a creator. So there's a lot of uh, ways that I feel like I put myself in those characters and get to process some of the things that I'm going through and have gone through, through them. Is Lena a story for adults, for children, for children of all ages? I'd say it's for everyone. It's very general. I'd say I'd, I'd rate it G for every. Is it G for everyone? Yeah, general audiences. Yeah, yeah general audience. Okay. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there might be like two swear words, but they're not bad. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 something that would definitely resonate with everyone. I think that we every single person probably on this planet has has had in some way or other someone make them feel small, whether that's their parent or significant other, a teacher maybe, or even themselves who've, you know, shrunken themselves in situations where they should have, you know, held their head high, but instead they kind of just you know, didn't stand up for themselves. So I think that Lena is for everyone. And I think everyone who listens to it, I think will get something out of it. Well, that's my hope anyway. Wonderful. You mentioned Meteor City, which you said was your entry into audio theater. I'm curious to know since then, if you've done any other work in audio theater and uh, before that, if you've done any work in theater. Yeah, so I definitely have a theater background. I was the theater kid growing up. I wouldn't say always on stage. I found that I love backstage work just as much. And yeah, I've always loved theater. I've always loved performance. That's something that as much as I've tried to shake, it has never gone away. Hmm. Um, but yeah, since Meteor City, I have another show called Covencast. It's a witchy audio comedy that I create with my best friend, Amber Belinsky. And oh, cool. Yeah. And I, you know, when I say myself, I actually have two people behind me when I create audio stories. Um, I have a production studio with my brothers called Wrightwood Studios. So yeah, yeah, it's a family affair. And yeah, it's pretty awesome. Great. How did the uh, connection go from Meteor City to Covencast? The magical world of Twitter. (laughs) Um, When I started audio storytelling, I was like, you know what? I love this medium. I tried so hard to find any Latina. I like, I looked through all the shows back then. This was like 2017, I believe. So mm-hmm. there wasn't as nearly as many audio dramas as they are now. So I was looking, I couldn't find anything. And I was like, so saddened by this. Cause like, this can't be another medium that I love. There's not any representation. There's nothing. So I decided to make one. And I, I approached my brothers about it and they were like, okay, let's figure it out. Let's do this. Like we always dreamed about doing this. And then I had to go on Twitter and I was just like, hey, does anyone know anything about writing for audio? (laughs) That's literally how it was. And there was nothing. So I had to kind of like reframe like my tweets. And I was like, hey, does anyone know how I can learn about making an audio drama? And then this person named Amber, Amber Blinsky, my best friend who I met through Twitter, um, was like, hey, actually, there's like kind of like this small niche group on Twitter you might want to like engage with. And from there, I just was like opened up to this like Pandora's box of audio fiction nerds and people who love to tell stories through audio and write. And from there, I mean, just kind of just blossomed. And I was just talking with Amber and I was like, you know, it'd be so funny and meta if we like made a a podcast about witches who start a podcast. (laughs) So Covencast is about (laughs) about a group of witches who start a podcast to figure out how to be a witch. So basically, you know, they have to kind of learn how to reclaim their power um, as women and as witches. So it's pretty funny. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But through Twitter, mostly. Incredible. Yeah. Wow. Twitter is so weird. It can be like this incredibly moving place where people can really connect. And then also it's like this hellscape of the world's like unhappiest people. And there's like no happy medium it's like it's either or (laughs) yeah it's hard especially when you're creating audio because you know we live in this world where the art that we make whether that's that's photography film 
audio storytelling is seen as content to be consumed. And that is like this gut-wrenching burden <laughs> that's placed on you to constantly be relevant and to mm. like to always show up. And it can be exhausting because you have to like engage your audience. And I always feel a pressure to like, oh my God, I'm not showing up in someone's queue. Like my season was a couple months ago and they're going to forget about me. And all this stuff, like this pressure to be relevant is exhausting. Mm. It's weird because I like, as someone who makes audio and also consumes it, I want more of it. So I try to like, like, no, I shouldn't expect that much from them because I know how much work goes into it. So that's actually kind of changed my relationship with audio and how I consume it because I know how much work goes into it. You hear that, listeners? <laughs> <laughs> These artists, they love you and they, they put their heart and soul into it. That's true. We do. We do. But you're right. That's a really good point. So, and, and it's really interesting too that you you had this relationship as a listener, and then you became a creator, and it changed your perspective on it. Yeah, I, I sometimes I like have to stop listening to it as an audio person, just listening to it as like in the audience, because mm-hmm. I do kind of I'll focus on certain things, and but it just makes me love it more because I now knowing how much work goes into it, I'm like God, I love these creators. I tell them I'm more vocal about like shows that I really like. Because um, I know I listened to it. And I was like, you know, you guys put your heart in this. And I want to tell you that it's great, which is always nice to hear. <laughs> yeah. As we come to the end of our conversation, here's a question I'm asking everyone from Feminist Fairy Tales. I think different people have different uh, takes on what feminism means. And since you've written one of the feminist fairy tales, I'd love to know what feminism means to you. For me, I would define feminism as taking a step back from my current reality and seeing how all the pieces fit together. I think that um, if it is not intersectional feminism, where we talk about systemic racism and injustice and every fabric of our reality, then it's not feminism (laughs) or not feminism that I want to be a part of, I should say. So many things go into feminism and how women, primarily women of color, primarily black and brown women, are systemically oppressed. And we can talk about things like, you know, access to healthcare and reproductive healthcare, but we, you know, we have to have those conversations because they're important, but they're just as important as raising the minimum wage and affordable healthcare and mental health services. You know, it's so connected. And if we're not able to step outside of our, our life to see it, then it's just not working. So Mm. yeah, that's how I, I would define feminism. Wonderful. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us, Madeline. Thank you for having me. The show is called Lena. The first act is available now as part of Feminist Fairy Tales on any podcast streaming service that you use, at least as far as I know. And the second act will be available next week.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.